Late Friday night, St. Louis using another Central Division team, Minnesota, as a conduit, moved both captain and pending unrestricted free agent Ryan O'Reilly, along with Noel Achari, to that overhyped Canadian team I generally can't be bothered talking about. And in this episode rotation, it's the division top three teams that were due to, as far as podcast editions go, be up next. Not the middling three that we just did cover, that two were involved in this deal. Let's say, in case you were wondering why St. Louis's O'Reilly's trade isn't top of the podcast, I am aware of it. Of course I was. And we'll get to it in due time i.e. the next episode, but this episode isn't that time. Other than the takeaways for the division top three that collectively benefit, although in theory divisionally, individually don't, as O'Reilly and Achari go to the Eastern Conference and its arms-on-skates deadline deals to date. Now, it rules out O'Reilly ending up with Dallas-Winnipeg or in a return to Colorado, and likewise, even Achari was linked as a player Vegas in the Western Conference had interest in. It benefits all they go to the East, not to a Western Conference rival, but it also doesn't have any of those teams individually add them to the active roster. If we talk about the fast-approaching trade deadline and buyer beware, and we should, we should also talk about getting left out of making the splash needed to have the pieces needed to go on a run. The timeline to get ahead of the overpay madness is evaporating that with each day loading up on the reinforcements will inevitably, in theory, get more costly, though the bar has been set again high. Dallas has identified a top six forward need. They also don't even have the projected cap space to add a player, let alone a top six piece, without also moving players out, getting ahead of the potential lateral move required to bolster the Dallas roster can't be left to the last minute for Dallas GM Jim Nill. He also is traditionally a GM who does his roster construction in the offseason. This year, you have to reward the Dallas group for being atop the division in Western Conference, most would concur. Just remember, it looks like a salary in and a salary out situation. So we'll look at ways to do it, but it does affect the team's player mix if Dallas makes a deal. Winnipeg's projected deadline cap space is $10 million, currently $7 million, according to Cap Friendly Saturday. They can take a big swing, but the team looks to need to add a top six forward, top four defenseman, and a top nine forward to be capable of making any kind of playoff run. Again, waiting closer to the deadline maximizes Winnipeg's available cap space. However, Winnipeg could use an injection to help them seating-wise for the playoffs. Finishing first has its benefits. They are simply maintaining second spot that I think making a move sooner than later is what is better to help them with their push to the playoffs. They have to make a swing, but the swing made by GM Kevin Chevrydayoff, sorry, couldn't resist, GM Chevrydayoff, correctly needs to be finding the multiple player right fit. Colorado hasn't seen the complement of its roster all season and they likely won't. Captain Gabe Landeskog is said to return. He hasn't played a game before the deadline, although the references to a Tampa Bay Kucherov situation are out there. 
Defenseman Eric Johnson, the latest, is now out and for a while, and that provides more cap flexibility for Colorado at the deadline. Trouble with all the injuries for Colorado is, who are you adding based on potentially who may end up actually out when the postseason arrives? GM Chris McFarlane in Colorado has again using Saturday's cap-friendly number, a $6 million deadline cap space available to add with. My biggest question isn't Colorado adding, they will, but what lineup in Colorado are you needing to add players to? Colorado might need a bottom pair replacement defenseman for EJ now. We haven't been talking about bottom pair D, well I did, Jack Johnson's return, jokingly, but now it is even making more sense. And will the other 5D stay healthy? Same for the forward group. You're adding based on who you think Colorado will have to play for them this year. But that's been the hardest thing to determine through the season. It's actually who is available to play in Colorado. As of now, it's wide open in the West. But the trade winds have been blowing gently for the teams looking to add. And that needs to pick up for the buyers in the division like the easterly trade winds already are. The blockbuster trade lead simply awaits another addition for the top three for now as they play on as they are constructed. Welcome to Central Division Hockey, the podcast. I'm your NHL outsider and Central Division expert, Tim Bigelow. The intro was recorded last Saturday night. I realized Sunday and Monday Central Division games getting included for this trio to set up for Wednesday night's games was probably the best thing to do. And short of a blockbuster trade Wednesday involving any of these teams, before I put this pot up, well, I didn't have to edit the intro, surprisingly. The game recaps are always put win or lose with the division team with the better record. Dallas remains atop the Central Division, but Vegas Tuesday night, by a point in the same games played, after games were all played, moved into top spot in the Western Conference standings overall. Also, the Central Division Top 3 and Pacific Division Top 3 all have over 600 point percentages, but are all under 640 point percentage. Let's begin stargazing. Dallas went 0-2-2 since our last look, 30-15-12, 72 points in 57 games played, 632 point percentage, first in the Central Division and second overall in the Western Conference. One point up on Winnipeg in the same games played, Dallas is a point back of Pacific Division leading Vegas in the same games played, headed into Wednesday night's games. Let's look at the game recaps. Scoreless first, Tampa Bay on a breakaway backhander off the rush open, scoring 13 seconds past the game's midpoint. Dallas's Jamie Benz far side low blocker, three on one, keep off the rush goal. Two minutes, five seconds after, ties it up at one, all through two. A Tampa Bay goal off the cycle and a wraparound deflected in the paint with 44 seconds left in the third. Puts the lightning up and former Blackhawk Tampa Bay's Brandon Hagel adds an empty net goal from just inside Dallas's blue line with one second left to hand Dallas a 3-1 loss at home. 33 seconds after the first midpoint, Boston off the rush, get it down low and the net side open man puts it in far side to open scoring. 
Dallas's Arope hints his backhander five-hole goal, finishing off a three-on-two off the rush, 22 seconds shy of three minutes later, knots it up at 1-0 after one. 4.17 into the second, Dallas's Jason Robertson's give-and-go off the rush goal, put five-hole, is the lone goal of the middle frame and a 2-1 Dallas lead through 40. Dallas with a late second five-on-three power play are unable to score on it to extend the lead. A Boston far side posted in goal off the rush 12 seconds past the third's midpoint is the equalizer. Two-fourths overtime, 2-0 after three. Dallas don't get the winner with a power play in overtime and with 116 left in the extra time. Teams playing four on four. Boston get the low circle, short side one-timer, overtime game-winning goal as Dallas pick up the loser point in a 3-2 home overtime loss. A scoreless affair through 40 between Divisional Dallas and Minnesota. Minnesota's Matt Zuccarello's power play goal, net side tap on a cross ice through the defensive zone seam. Give and go pair of passes between Zuccarello and Matt Boldy. 637 into the third, open scoring. Dallas's Jamie Benz goal line one-timer short side give and go goal. 24 seconds past the third's midpoint ties it up as a deep pinch by Miro Haskinen keeps the cycle for Dallas alive and then behind the net back against the grain set up from Wyatt Johnston to Ben makes it one all after three. OT doesn't provide the winner and Minnesota take the shootout and Dallas end up with a 2-1 road shootout loss to Divisional Minnesota in the team's final meeting. A Columbus goal with 2.19 left in the first open scoring on a net front scramble off the rush to the cycle for a 1-0 lead after one. Dallas's Jason Robertson's 5-hole goal, 5.22 into the second on a stretch pass feed from Niles Lundquist comes off the board as Dallas doesn't clear the offensive zone before Robertson re-enters and the offside review negates the goal. Dallas is tied to Landria's self-created offensive zone turnover for a low circle 5-hole goal, 6.29 into the middle frame, does make it 1-0. Dallas looked to take the lead off the forecheck to the slot, where Dallas Wyatt Johnson's lifted goal into an open cage, 7.44 into the second, has another successful Columbus coaches challenge. The Johnson goal comes back as Jamie Benz flyby Pryor at the top of the crease does make contact with Columbus goalie Jonas Corpusello's stick, and after review, no goal due to goalie interference, one all through two. 5.49 into the third, a Columbus far side point shot goal off of the cycle puts the Jackets ahead as part of a three-goal third. The second Columbus two-on-one goal trickles through Dallas goalie Scott Wedgwood for a tap in the paint with 4.28 left. A Columbus empty net awarded goal with 1.20 left as Miro Haskinen hauls down a Columbus player with the open net wow in the crease. Dallas drop a 4-1 to loss at home. The money-in, money-out Dallas dilemma for GM Jim Nill. It was well before the All-Star break that reports began surfacing that Dallas was looking to add a top six forward. The issue is the cap space isn't available simply to take on another high-salaried player. Unless extra assets and creativity are used, it's then you would think a hockey trade. Those in today's NHL are hard to come by. What other means could GM Nill add while limiting the losses? First, team chemistry matters, so identifying the player Dallas is willing to part with is actually the first step of the process. That is twofold, finding an underperforming player that has a decent contract to free up cap space. 
those players are the hardest to move. To me, two forwards fit the criteria. Center left winger Roddick Faxa, 3.25 million with two years remaining. The 29-year-old is a third-slash-fourth-line center value, defensively strong, but lacks the offensive flair this Dallas team needs or wants to have a bit more of for the playoffs. Fax's average time on ice at 13 minutes, 32 seconds per game, is way better than average fourth-line NHL minutes. His seven goals, 12 points in all Dallas's 57 games played, isn't as he doesn't contribute much to the Dallas offense. Why Faxa makes sense, Dallas added Luke Glendening, a $1.5 million center right winger, who can do a lot of the similar bottom six responsibilities Faxa does, but at less cost. Jamie Benn with title Andrea and Wyatt Johnston is a team's third line this year, and they are contributing. Faxa isn't a top six player, so he really shouldn't be on the second line, nor has he been used in a third line role this year. The other option is 25-year-old Denis Gurionov, who is a restricted free agent with a $2.9 million expiring deal. The speedster has two goals, eight points in 41 games played, with average time on ice 12 minutes 10 seconds per game. And also, that means playing in the bottom six in Dallas. In 2019-20, Gurionov had a career-high 20-goal season, but has never been able to duplicate it. And given Gurionov's age, he's entering his prime years, you hesitate to want to move on from him if you're Dallas. However, 19-year-old Wyatt Johnston's 13 goals, 24 points on an entry-level contract is better production at a better cost. As one of Jamie Benn's linemates, he has been looking like the captain of years past. Additionally, Dallas has high-end forward prospects, Maverick Bork and Logan Stankoven coming up in the ranks. You can, if you're Dallas, part ways with Gurionov to inject a second line forward to play with Tyler Sagan for a run. Here's something to remember. Those three prospects aren't players Dallas is going to want to use to facilitate getting that new player prime asset. But all the teams they're talking with are asking for one of those three guys. Make no mistake about it. And one for one, neither Faxa nor Gurionov would get Dallas an upgrade they want without picks or prospects. Future draft picks and also a mid-round pick to a banker team to retain salary, much like Minnesota did for Toronto in the Ryan O'Reilly deal, brings down the cap pit for Dallas to add if the trading team keeps 50% like St. Louis did and then another 25% and so on. However, Dallas likely then needs to part ways with a third-round pick plus a first-round pick with Faxa or find a team that simply trades future considerations, for example, to get Gurionov off the Dallas books. Let's explore that. To me, Columbus, I thought, would be a great landing spot for Gurionov in that scenario. Except even Columbus moving defenseman Vladislav Gavrikov doesn't give Columbus a cap space to take on Gurionov for free. So, will Columbus even be able to add an essentially free underperforming forward in need of a new deal in the summer if they want to? They're going to have to trade more players to bring one on. Montreal made sense as well, except they too are up against a cap and haven't indicated they intend to be sellers to free up space either. The teams are fits, but not the salary situation. 
That left, I think, Anaheim or San Jose. There might be a few others. San Jose, like Central Division castaways, but San Jose first, to me, looks to have to move Timo Meyer, expected, or Eric Carlson, more difficult, again, to be able to bring on another salary player. The other idea, spitballing, is to trade with St. Louis for Ivan Barbashev for either Faxa or Gurionov and likely give up a future second rounder, quite possibly a first rounder, and that's an overpay because Barbashev is simply drawing interest from multiple teams, raising the cost. Then you have to ask yourself, how much of an upgrade would that actually be? And Dallas already traded their 2023 first rounder. However, Barbashev did have 26 goals last season. So theoretically, maybe he with Marchment and Sagan would be a good fit at not as much of a cost. In Dallas, you want to think big. So Dallas is said to be around Patrick Kane whenever he makes up his mind on his future. Maybe Chicago can take Gurionov eat 50% of the Kane deal, and Dallas can make the money work, or again, Dallas gives a mid-level pick to a third banker party team to get the deal done. Also, Dallas doesn't have its 2023 first-round pick, so they probably have to sweeten a deal as a 2024 first-rounder or after pick isn't as appealing as another team's 2023 pick also wanting Kane, may have as a trade ship. Cap-friendly list Dallas's projected deadline cap space at just over $2.5 million. Dallas's division head-to-head record 10-2-4. Dallas is home to divisional Chicago Wednesday, play a key top of the Western Conference head-to-head in Vegas Saturday, and then finish home to Vancouver Monday. So, see if Kane ends up playing versus Dallas. Winnipeg goes 3-2-0 since our last look. 35-21-1, 71 points, second in the Central Division in 57 games played. 6-23 point percentage. Winnipeg is one point back of Dallas, now in the same games played. Winnipeg, in two more games played, is four points up of Colorado. The game recaps. Scoreless first, Winnipeg's Josh Morrissey's backhander slot goal off the cycle. A minute 16 seconds into the second open scoring as part of a three-goal Winnipeg middle frame. Winnipeg's Blake Wheeler's net front tip power play goal, 7.33 in. And Winnipeg Mark Scheifele's off-the-rush one-timer goal with 7.51 left in the second makes it 3-0 Winnipeg through 40. Chicago's lone goal comes 2.08 into the third. Tyler Johnson's rebound tuck after a Winnipeg defensive zone turnover allows Chicago to get it to the cycle to get the goal. Winnipeg's Wheeler, second of the game, an empty netter from the slot with 25 seconds left, has Winnipeg win at home over divisional Chicago 4-1. Scoreless first, Winnipeg's Blake Wheeler's top of circle, forehand tuck goal, 7-1 into the second, open scoring after Nick Ehler steals the puck from behind the net off a lost offensive zone faceoff. In the back half of the middle frame, Seattle get two goals, the first driving the paint deflection with 6.40 left and a late power play goal that pinballs off at two jets and in with 20 seconds left for Seattle to be up 2-1 through 2. 
Winnipeg's Pierre-Luc Dubois' net front rebound goal off former blue Seattle defenseman. Vince Stun ties it 21 seconds into the third's midpoint. Just over five minutes left. Winnipeg's Mason Appleton's breakaway rings the blocker side post. Two all after three. Overtime solves nothing and Winnipeg gets the 3-2 home shootout win in their first game of the year that has required a shootout. Winnipeg's Cal Connor's late far side snipe power play goal from the dot with two seconds left in the first open scoring and a 1-0 Winnipeg lead after one. Former Jet Columbus's Patrick Laine's far side shelf wrister power play goal exactly at the game's midpoint evens the score at one all through two. Columbus take the lead with a short side goal from the sidewall 20 seconds to the third's midpoint through traffic as Columbus had a power play expire but continued to play on in the offensive zone and an off the rush empty net goal with three seconds left hands Winnipeg a 3-1 road loss. Winnipeg bookends the first with goals. Three seconds shy of five minutes left. Winnipeg's Cole Perfetti's net front rebound off the cycle goal. Off a Neil Pionk point shot. Open scoring. New Jersey tie it with a net front goal 19 seconds after. Winnipeg's defenseman Pionk's point shot goal finds its way through. Blocker side with 2.51 left and has Winnipeg up 2-1 after one. Scoreless second. 5-0-2 into the third, a New Jersey far side blocker goal in the slot off the cycle ties the game at two. A minute 51 seconds later, New Jersey take the lead with a fourth line goal off the forecheck and add an empty net goal winning a puck race with 56 seconds left as Winnipeg is doubled up in a 4-2 loss on the road in the first game of a back-to-back. Winnipeg Pierre-Luc Dubois net front power play goal 5-12 into the first open scoring off a Josh Morrissey point shot. The point gives Morrissey the most in a single season for a Winnipeg Jet defenseman in franchise history. Winnipeg's Mark Scheifele's rebound off the rush goal on a 3-on-2 as a Winnipeg penalty expires with 328 left in the first gives Winnipeg a 2-0 lead. Winnipeg's Cal Connors high slot goal off the rush 604 into the second extends Winnipeg's lead as the teams trade goals in the middle frame with the New York Rangers lone net side tap goal as Winnipeg Shifley gets the puck stripped, trying to leave the defensive zone through the paint with nine minutes left in the second. Winnipeg up 3-1 to one through 2. With 4.31 left in the third, Winnipeg Shifley's second goal, his team leading 34th of the year, a backhander, a lifted glove on a give-and-go with KC set up by Mason Appleton's neutral zone pass to start the rush. A 4-1 Winnipeg road win. That's standout performance was by Winnipeg goalie Connor Hellebuck, who made 50 saves on 51 shots on goal to absolutely steal the show while Winnipeg put up 21 shots in the win. Winnipeg's power play problems. They were one for seven in the trigger whistle everything happy game versus Columbus. And Winnipeg's power play let them down, essentially, in a one-goal loss. It was 0-3 in the New Jersey loss. Yet, the middle of the pack, 14th-ranked power play Winnipeg has is 21.9% success rate. And that near mirrors, heading into Wednesday's games, Winnipeg's overall goals for, that is ranked 16th at 3.14 average goals per game. Winnipeg went one for one on the power play in the New York Ranger win. While the focus on the power play became a thing and the day off Saturday practice Winnipeg had, as promised by Winnipeg coach Rick Bonus, had new units and time focused on it prior to the New Jersey-New York games, 
Truth was, prior to that topic, Winnipeg struggles scoring five-on-five of late were what we were talking about. This five-game stretch hardly provides answers that has improved either. Certainly, there are no signs of bottom six secondary scoring contribution needed. Even the Adam Lowry, Mason Appleton, and Morgan Barron third line that was playing good and was overdue to get some needed goal production payoff was, because of an injury to forward Cole Perfetti again in the New Jersey game, forced Coach Bonus to readjust the lines with Mason Appleton moving up the lineup into the top six. Question is if the rest of the remaining bottom six indeed do start adding needed goal production. What it will tell you is the goals against rank third best for Winnipeg in the NHL and likewise rank penalty kill heading into Wednesday's games being played. It's the team's defensive side of the game that is what is keeping Winnipeg near the division top all year. When the power play was providing offense, it masked Winnipeg's down 5-on-5 goal production of late. When neither of those are going, it's difficult for Winnipeg to win, and Winnipeg doesn't exactly have room for error. As for reinforcements via the impending looming trade deadline, Winnipeg is making calls, and everyone in the team's market wants a big swing nationally there is still a segment of insiders suggesting rounding out the edges in deadline edition talk the latter winnipeg can't do and likely be able to have a deep run winnipeg gm kevin shovel dayoff does need to find three player pieces that are a top four right handy value a top six forward and a top nine forward to get this team better positioned in its roster construction also big names winnipeg may want to be in on have other teams trying to attain the same players and that means to get a deal done it's going to be an expensive prospect slash draft pick combo to get the deal done or potentially missing out of the player winnipeg needs to add and settling for a second choice and still ending up paying a high price right now winnipeg could use those players in the lead up to the playoffs and that run because things by the deadline could look different if winnipeg does poorly on the rest of the current road trip or struggles at home to finish february colorado has made up ground the divisional game between the teams friday is like dallas and minnesota's recent ones impactful to the division standings but winnipeg can't even think that far ahead as i mentioned it's on the near horizon. Very little has been said on Winnipeg being in on a top four defenseman, but that is an area on the right-hand D side that has needed it for a while now. Winnipeg is also said to be in on Timo Meyer, likely the hardest forward a team can land. And if they miss out on Meyer, is there anyone that fits what Winnipeg needs as good as he does? Of course, a lot of teams with interest in Meyer see a good fit for him playing in their top six for good reason. Winnipeg's division had to add record 14-4-0. Winnipeg finished the New York road trip Wednesday versus the Isles. Winnipeg returns home for a key divisional game Friday versus Colorado, who are just behind them in the standings. And we're talking about them next. Winnipeg play two more at home to finish February after Colorado. A rematch with the Isles Sunday and versus LA Tuesday. Colorado won four and picked up points in its last five to gain ground on Winnipeg. Saturday's divisional win over St. Louis put Colorado back above the 600-point percentage mark as well. 
We continue with the defending Stanley Cup champions. Colorado went 4-0-1 since our last look. 31-19-5, 67 points. Third in the Central Division and 55 games played since our last pod. 6-0-9 point percentage. Colorado in two fewer games played is four points behind Winnipeg for second in the division. Colorado in two fewer games played is tied in points with Minnesota headed into Wednesday's NHL games. Colorado's game recaps. 3-35 into the first. Colorado's Logan O'Connor's net side rebound tap-in short and a goal on a two-on-one with Andrew Cogliano open scoring. Four minutes, 29 seconds after Colorado's Matt Nieto's slot goal off a Florida defensive zone turnover. Off the forecheck gives Colorado a 2-0 lead after one. A Florida point shot put short side roof goal. 7.03 into the second and a Florida short side roof goal off the rush a minute five seconds after ties the game. 25 seconds after Colorado's Devin Taves net side rebound goal on a D pinch and Colorado's Nathan McKinnon's first goal of the game. A high slot power play goal put glove shelf with 3.59 left in the middle frame as Colorado up 4-2 through 40. Florida getting off the rush two-on-one, going to the crease goal. A minute, three seconds past the third's midpoint, and Florida press late until Colorado's McKinnon's second goal of the game. A two-on-one empty net goal with 59 seconds left provides for a 5-3 Colorado road win. It takes Colorado's Arturi Lekin in 50 seconds with his far side from the circle goal through traffic to open scoring in a 1-0 Colorado lead after one in the first game of a back-to-back. 6-21 into the second, Colorado's Nathan McKinnon outmuscles his way to the paint to score as Bo Byram puts it on the tape and the Avs go up. Two. A Tampa Bay two-on-one net side tap-in goal with 6.51 left in the middle frame has it 2-1 Colorado through two. 26 seconds into the third, a Tampa Bay short side from the circle goal off the forecheck ties the game. Colorado's Dennis Malkins far side wrister goal from the slot joining the play coming off of a change. Two minutes, 23 seconds after is followed by a Tampa Bay goal. Two minutes, seven seconds after that as former Av Vladislav Nemestnikov's backhander goal after stealing the puck in the Colorado defensive zone forces overtime and a shootout that Colorado picks up a point following 4-3 to three in a shootout loss. Colorado's Andrew Cogliano's three-on-two off-the-rush far side glove goal with 4.46 left in the first open scoring and a 1-0 Colorado lead after one. 2.20 into the second Colorado's Dennis Malgans from distance goal using Minnesota defenseman John Merrill as a screen extends the lead. Minnesota's Joel Erickson X net front deflection power play goal on Matt Zuccarello's point shot wrister 11 seconds shy of five minutes after gets Minnesota on the scoreboard. Colorado's Nathan McKinnon's five-hole goal as he flies the offensive zone from a partial breakaway with 331 left in the second makes it 3-1 Colorado through 40. Minnesota's Kirill Kaprizov's lifted backhander goal off the cycle as defenseman Jared Spurgeon's Flyby takes away Colorado goalie Alexander Gorgiev's sight with 5.53 left in the third, cuts into the lead, but Colorado take the divisional road game 3-2 in Minnesota on the back half of the back-to-back. 
Late in the first, Colorado's Miko Rantanen short side wrister roof goal off the cycle from the inner circle open scoring with 3.23 left in the first and a 1-0 Colorado lead. 7.37 into the second, Colorado's Bo Byram's far side from the circle goal off the rush adds to the lead. St. Louis's lone goal of the game comes from Sammy Blay going to the net, falling with a short side roof goal with 4.32 left in the middle frame and Colorado takes a 2-1 lead through 40. 2.56 into the third, Colorado's Val Nishushkin's net front tap rebound power play goal is the first of two for Colorado in the final frame. The second and power play goal, also Colorado Byram's second. A short side one-timer from the dot, 20 seconds to the third's midpoint, Colorado 4-2 divisional road win in St. Louis. With 4.52 left in the first, an Edmonton net front in tight 2-1-1 goal open scoring and an Edmonton 1-0 lead after one. 1.14 into the second, Edmonton add to the lead net front off the cycle. Edmonton go up three on a low circle 1-T goal off the rush to the cycle. 7.37 into the middle frame before 57 seconds after Colorado's JT Comfort's net front screen and deflection goal goes five hole on Nathan McKinnon's wrister from the circle. Two minutes, 48 seconds after the game's midpoint, Colorado's Val Nishnushkin's off-the-rush goal off Edmonton defenseman Cody Cece's skate and in as he Nishnushkin tries to set up Matt Nieto net side, cuts Edmonton's lead, but Edmonton get that goal back on a point shot wrister through a screen with 2.16 left in the second for an Edmonton 4-2 lead through 40. 26 seconds into the third, Colorado's Nathan McKinnon's off-the-rush short side roof goal is followed by an Edmonton goal, a blast from the slot, glove side by former star and briefly Blackhawk, Matthias Yandemark. 30 seconds to the third's midpoint, Colorado's Logan O'Connor's goal jammed in as Edmonton goalie Jack Campbell makes a toe save but doesn't cover the rebound. Colorado's Arturi Lekkonen's net front deflection goal on a point shot with 4-12 left ties the game at 5-all after 3. With 22 seconds left in overtime, Colorado's Miko Rantanen's overtime game-winning goal, his team winning 36th of the year as he circles in the slot to the net side, outweights and then lifts the forehand winner for a 6-5 Colorado overtime home win. Colorado coach Jared Bednar openly complained about the NHL scheduling of three weeks of back-to-backs that Colorado will play that we're through two of now. It's not noteworthy because it's like the terrible NHL scheduling isn't exclusive. It's generally awful at some point for every team. Just felt like a page out of old Winnipeg, now Florida coach Paul Maurice's playbook to provide a built-in excuse. Oddly, Colorado lost the first game to Tampa Bay, then found a way to win on the back-to-back half versus Minnesota after the comments. They then won the second set of the back-to-backs. Likewise, Colorado's game against St. Louis in the second back-to-back due to a lower body injury to goalie Pavel Francois, who is expected out three weeks. Colorado chose to bring up and start prospect goalie Justice Annanen in the St. Louis game. Colorado looked in control as they skated to their convincing win after St. Louis had traded both Captain Ryan O'Reilly and Noah Achari the night prior. Colorado defenseman Kill McCarr returned versus St. Louis having missed games since his concussion versus Pittsburgh. St. Louis forward Alexei Torpchenko's inner arm made contact with McCarr again in the head forcing him to leave the game and like versus Pittsburgh, McCarr returned and finished the St. Louis game with 21 minutes 27 time on ice 
five and a half minutes less his NHL leading average time on ice per game. It was reported Tuesday that due to concussions again, as per Colorado coach Jared Bednar, McCarr is minimally expecting to miss the next two games. Defenseman Josh Manson returned to play against Minnesota with 20 minutes, 25 seconds time on ice, but he was a healthy scratch versus St. Louis to load manage his return to the lineup to have him suit up versus Edmonton in the back half of Colorado's back-to-back. Defenseman Eric Johnson foot is week to week, so Colorado's full D group six complement still isn't together. It does, with EJ on injury reserve, provide additional unexpected cap space for Colorado GM Chris McFarland to make additions to the roster if he decides to. As much as everyone has said Colorado's looking for a second-line center with the potential available cap space, Colorado could add a pair of top nine value forwards as well as a vet bottom pair defenseman. Top five playable D by the deadline is kind of the pieces I would expect Colorado to add. Also, Captain Gabe Landeskog has yet to play, and activating him this close to the trade deadline makes no sense. Colorado should use his cap space to load up and have Landeskog return after the trade deadline. If the Kucherov comparisons do come, so be it. But let's be honest. Colorado, without their captain all year, has put themselves in a position to take advantage of the situation, and being this close to it, they probably should because of the injuries the team has continued to fight all year through. Colorado doesn't owe any apologies if they bring Landeskog back after the deadline to me and use his cap space to add to their roster to try and repeat. And if Dallas or Winnipeg can't win the Central Division, you almost sense the best scenario for both would be to have Colorado end up first and to play each other, then be the team stuck playing the defending champs in round one. That statement is going to grow and get more and more play as we get closer to the playoffs. But let's be clear, a team's path to the Stanley Cup Finals out of the Central Division will likely require a date with Colorado as a prerequisite requirement, however the standings end up. Maybe a Round 1 matchup would be better against the Avs than meeting them in Round 2. Colorado's division head-to-head record, 11-4-1. Colorado are off till they travel for the divisional game in Winnipeg Friday. Again, Kale McCarr won't be available. Colorado returns home to play on a back-to-back Saturday versus Calgary and finish February at home to Western Conference leading Pacific Division Vegas Monday. Pacific Division comparable trio... And yes, we're going to do it at the end for all three. Vegas is first in the Pacific and Western Conference with 73 points in 57 games played. Same games played as both Dallas and Winnipeg. And Vegas leads Dallas by a point and Winnipeg by two. Vegas will play Dallas Saturday and Colorado Monday to finish out February. LA, 71 points are equal to second place comparable Winnipeg, although LA has played one more game played. L.A. lost Tuesday to Central Division Minnesota in regulation. L.A. will play Winnipeg in February. Seattle is equal to all of Vegas, Dallas, and Winnipeg in games played. And by points percentage is better than L.A., but by points, one point back of the Kings with L.A.'s extra game played. 
Seattle is three points up on Central Division comparable Colorado, but Colorado has two games in hand, the equivalent of four points. That should tell you at present, all six of these teams have a shot not only at winning their respective divisions, either the Central or the Pacific, but also winning the Western Conference as a first seed. Minnesota is equal to Colorado in points, but the Wild have two more games played, and Edmonton has a point more than both Colorado and Minnesota in the same games played as Minnesota. Next up, we are going to look at the three Central Division teams, St. Louis, and specifically the Ryan O'Reilly Noel Achari trade, Nashville's reluctance to be a seller, and Minnesota being a banker, but are they going to go with the group they have into the playoffs, or as Joe Smith reported Wednesday afternoon, that Brock Besser's agent is working to try and facilitate a homecoming. Thanks for listening.